Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Green Party calls on Justin Trudeau to appoint a national task force on COVID-19. The pandemic clearly is something that we have not been able to get uh, under control through a variety of regional or provincial responses. And so this is the moment for us to do what many other countries have done, which is to have all the levels of government come together. The Liberals agree to a legal review of some We Charity documents. I did hear uh, Pierre Polyev's uh, press conference, and I know what the uh, House leadership has proposed. So I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that uh, that this impasse can be put behind us. And a ban on the sale of new gas-powered vehicles starting in 2035 as part of Quebec's Green Economy Plan. We think that uh, for the first time we have a plan with figures, a detailed plan, and we will follow that every year. It's Tuesday, November 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mark. So the Green Party is saying that there should be a national task force on the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, This is obviously a crucial juncture. We've seen cases rising in Ontario and other parts of the country. We've seen discussion about keeping schools closed in different different jurisdictions across the country. So uh, there is a debate going on now about the best way to address this and the role of the federal government. Do you think a task force is necessary? And what else do you think about where we stand at this moment in the fight against the pandemic? Well, you know, we're at a bad place. Let's not uh, sugarcoat it. And I think when you hear the Green Party and others talking for a national policy, um, what it's the synonym for it is more somebody do something. And I think that's the stage we're at. The problem is, I get, I, I, I think that, good reasons for it are, and this is a very Green Party thing to propose, is that all parties work together. That's not a wacky idea. In fact, it worked rather well at the beginning of the pandemic and has worked less well, as we saw over the summer, as that faded. So I think in as much as the Green Party leader is asking, she's asking for somebody to do something uh, that too many people doing too many different things is just getting confusing and it's not working. The problem is, is I, I, I don't know that, you know, if you ask the average Canadian, what would make you change your behavior? Because that's what we're talking about here. We're asking people to change their behavior and we're asking for, for it's, it's the public that's got to do something. And who do they listen to? You know, would they would they be inclined to listen anymore if it was Justin Trudeau and all the premiers telling them to do the same thing? I, I I'm not sure. I I think that um, I think it's a good idea to have a national response. And we look in the United States, the absence of a national response. What what happens there? But we have had a pretty coordinated effort so far. I don't know that formalizing it is going to make any difference. But I I. I guess in some, it speaks to the idea of of kind of exasperation that's out there right now. Yeah, that is uh, that is a great word for it. Um, And and what do you think about how governments have been trying to strike a balance and and to some extent have been bouncing back and forth between the needs of the economy uh, 
and also the need for people to be able to interact with family members, coworkers, and so on for mental health reasons and other purposes, and and the needs of of stemming the the spread of the pandemic and controlling the interactions that have with people because it seems like we we move from one side to the other. There's a bit of a pendulum to this. Yeah, and uh, I think that we've seen it most, maybe because I live in Ontario, we're seeing it most personified in those daily press conferences from uh, Premier Doug Ford, where you can see he is being tugged. And, uh, you know, my newspaper has been doing quite a few stories about the ways in which he's being tugged and how much he's tugging on one side or the other. We we are getting to a place um, where where we feel that this is a binary choice. You know, it's either the economy or health. And you see the leaders struggling to say, look, I'm trying to balance both. Let's not polarize it. But as you point out, we're coming up to the mother of all seasons for two of those things, family get-togethers and buying things in stores. The Christmas season is, is, a, is a perfect storm of those two things. And people are right now staring down the idea that the two biggest things about Christmas, buying things in stores and, you know, Christmas shopping and being around loved ones and family are going to be severely compromised, if not scrapped altogether this Christmas. And I think that goes back to the exasperation that we're talking about in the, um, in the previous uh, bit. I think... Um, this is always going to be the hardest stage, as the, they said, the second wave, when they're facing hard choices. And people are going to question what choice they make no matter what. But um, Christmas and the looming Christmas deadline is going to focus that discussion in really hard ways. Yeah, that's a good I point. I wouldn't recommend to anybody to watch the daily succession of news conferences these days, by the way, which I did yesterday. It will yeah. leave you with the gloomiest of, you know, everybody t- is talking about the dark winter coming. And you think, great, that's uh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. My my mother sometimes will say, well, I find those news conferences depressing, and and <laughs> and I say, well, don't watch them then, um, <laughs> because right. it is bad news, and I... You know, some people have to watch them, and it affects their lives and their business, and I understand that, and that's why CPAC shows them. Uh, but, yep. yeah, it is, uh, it's not good news at the moment. All right, let's turn to a couple of other stories, Susan. And the, the Liberals are saying they, they will accept a legal review of some of the documents related to the We Charity scandal. There's been a, quite a standoff about this over the past few months. The, the opposition parties have been trying to bring this back into the spotlight and and uncover some information. The Liberals have been resisting. What does this development mean? Well, it is a serious standoff, um, and some serious issues are being raised there. Unfortunately, none of the political parties have been treating it seriously with the silly filibustering and, and posturing in front of the cameras. The issue is, in, for anybody who isn't listening, and I suspect not many people are listening to this story, is whose right is it to decide what is secret uh, from uh, in government documents? That's a good argument to have. We journalists should be having it. We, uh, it looks like the compromise is, is that the law clerk of the Commons will be making that decision. Conservatives are 
kind of okay with that, but not really. And they're still accusing the Liberals of trying to hide something. Liberals are not entirely comfortable with the idea of of having uh, a law clerk decide, for example, what is a cabinet confidence. And uh, they're, they're still going to reserve the right to decide that. The bigger question in all of this is, does it matter? And... I'm not sure that this feels like a distant ring in a many ring circus at the moment right now that, uh, that, and what will it mean? The conservatives say it's about Justin Trudeau's privilege and entitlement and the way he governs. Uh, the liberals say they've got better things to do, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not confident this is going to change the course of political history in Canada, this this story here, even though some of the issues are important. Right. All right. Quebec made an announcement yesterday that I think we'll have everyone watching, and that is that they are planning to ban new gas-powered vehicles by the year 2035, which sounds like it's a long way off, but it's only 15 years in the future. Um, and in the in the life cycle of automobiles and in in terms of, of uh, how quickly, how significant a change that is, it's a it's a pretty short deadline. So, what do you think about that? And are we going to see other provinces follow suit? And uh, you know, the the federal government has been pretty aggressive about about wanting to move in this direction as well. So, uh, what do you think the impact of this will be? Well, I, I think it's it's getting everybody's mind focused on you know the post COVID future and this whole idea of a green recovery, which we did talk about. Uh, back in the summer when it doesn't didn't seem like a second. As you said, the, the federal government has been making big deals right now. Uh, Ford in uh, in Oakville, in the, sort of my home territory, has um, is is going electric as well too. So I, you're right. Fifteen years isn't a long time, especially in the forward planning of uh, of the car companies, and I. I guess this is telling us that when COVID is over, we are not going back to business as usual. We are plotting, you know, I'm sure you've been hearing the same things from people too, is that many of the, the, the pandemic has forced municipalities, provinces, the federal government to speed up a lot of the plans they were making uh, to make the world a better place. And this is definitely one of them. It would have been interesting to see what this announcement would have been, how it would have been received had there not been a pandemic. Yeah, great point. All right, we will see uh, how things unfold today with those news conferences we were talking about and other (laughs) developments as well. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte columnist for the Toronto Star. I want to see a true national response to a national emergency. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, André Picard asks if we need a strict second lockdown to beat the virus. Picard writes, So far, Canada has largely embraced a middle-of-the-road philosophy. Shut down, but not too tight or for very long with predictably mediocre results. Our current rate of 5,000 new cases a day is not sustainable. Half measures, which seem to be a Canadian specialty, will only perpetuate the frustrating cycle of openings and closings, which has left much of the public frightened and perplexed about what they can actually do anymore. In the Montreal Gazette, Alison Haynes argues climate change could be an economic opportunity for Quebec. Haynes writes... 
If coal and oil are on the way out, Quebec's relatively clean hydro will be in high demand among our neighbours in Massachusetts and New York. In the meantime, François Legault is creating a homegrown market by electrifying Quebec's economy, and especially the record number of vehicles on our highways. Quebec is uniquely positioned to take advantage of the massive shift away from fossil fuels by becoming the green battery of North America. In the Toronto Star, Charles Burton argues China is launching a full-court press to weaken the Western alliance. Burton writes, China has started with drastic measures leveled against Australia, and while Australia has strongly supported Canada over the two Michaels, it is unlikely that Ottawa will dare to stand with Australia in the face of Chinese bullying. But Australia's relations with China today are almost certainly Canada's tomorrow. Are we better off giving in to Chinese disdain, or should we stand up to the violations of the norms of international diplomacy and trade? Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's Information Commissioner will submit a special report to Parliament today on the RCMP's repeated failures to live up to its obligations under the Access to Information Act. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, later today, Information Commissioner Caroline Maynard will deliver to Parliament what her office describes as a report on her investigation into the systemic issues regarding how the force deals with requests under the Access to Information Act. This is not a new issue for the Mounties. In fact, the latest and perhaps most serious example of this has forced the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association to go to the federal court just days ago. It is upset that the Mounties missed a November 7th deadline set by its own commissioner to release a report on the Mounties' surveillance of anti-oil protesters. That particular case is more than three years old. So Mark, the information commissioner, will be looking into the systemic issues behind why it takes the, the RCMP so long to respond to citizens' requests for transparency. That report will be made available on the information commissioner's website as of 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will speak with the media, along with the Chief Public Health Officer and Deputy Chief Public Health Officer of Canada. This afternoon, the Prime Minister will attend question period. Minister of Innovation Navdeep Baines will speak with the media in Ottawa. National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will make an announcement in support of boosting regional development in the Gaspé. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to talk about the Conservative Opposition Day motion. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa, and Dr. Jane Goodall and Senator Murray Sinclair will make an announcement in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, November the 17th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.